this message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Who's been enjoying looking and exploring, beginning our exploration again together of the kingdom of God? God and his kingdom. And it's been uh, fantastic to consider these things. And David kicked us off wonderfully two weeks ago. Talked about uh, the kind of kingdom basics. Uh, it talked about our kingdom habitat uh, being uh, the, uh, our giving, our prayer, and our fasting. And Ruth shared wonderfully last uh, Sunday about prayer. And just to say, you know, we're not uh, thinking that just in covering each of these on one morning, we've covered the whole thing. I think there's going to be a need to come back and recover and relook at things. And um, I'm, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed reading the early chapters of Matthew. And Matthew is, uh, was one of the disciples. Not all of the gospel writers were disciples of Jesus. But Matthew and John were two of his disciples. And Matthew, the tax collector, a.k.a. Levi... Um, also sold a lot of jeans in his time. But he was uh, somebody who walked with Jesus, spent three years with Jesus' ministry, knew Jesus. And when Matthew, like all of the other gospel writers, they have an audience and an emphasis that they're wanting to put the message about Jesus across. They've got an, an audience they're presenting to and an emphasis they're presenting about Jesus. And Matthew's audience, without any shadow of a doubt, is is a Jewish audience. The way that he writes, the things that he includes, the fact that he includes so much Old Testament prophecy that all talk about Jesus being the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy of being the Christ, the Messiah. The fulfillment of Old Testament his, um, prophecy is littered through Matthew's Gospel. As David shared a few weeks ago, traces his lineage back to Abraham, the father of the Jews, and David, the king of Israel, the ultimate king, taking and linking Jesus to these great Jewish heroes. And even when he writes and he talks about the kingdom of God, you might, be, you might notice time and time again he talks about the kingdom, but he calls it the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of God, but Jewish Believers held the name of God, Yahweh, in such reverence that they used it as little as possible. And so when Matthew is writing and talks about our Father in heaven, he's talking about our Father God. When he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the kingdom of God. But he's preserving the name of God to keep his Hebrew audience engaged. And he's writing about a king and his kingdom. He's writing about this great Messiah, Jesus. And when we read these incredible verses at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, as Jesus begins to teach, it's all framed by, it all begins with Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending upon him, and him going out into the wilderness to fast. That's the foundation of Jesus' ministry. Baptism in water. Receiving the Holy Spirit and empowering, anointing of the Holy Spirit and fasting were the foundations of the ministry of Jesus himself. And when we talk about these kingdom basics, our kingdom habitat as David described it, it says in Matthew 6, and if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, from verse 5, sorry, from verse, uh, verse 1 rather. 
all of Matthew 6 is sort of where we're parked at the moment. But in Matthew 6, verse 1, Jesus says, when you give. And in fact, each time Jesus talks about these three things, giving, prayer, and fasting, he says, when you, twice, and he says, God will, about every one of them. He says, when you give. And then he says later on, when you pray. And then he says, and when you fast. And he says those, two, those phrases twice for each one. When you give. When you give. When you pray. When you pray. When you fast. When you fast. And he finishes it with, God will. There's such definites about these statements. Not if you fast, God might. When you fast, God will. When you pray, God will. When you give, God will. When you give, that talks about the externals. That talks about me giving to my neighbor. That talks about relationship with those outside of me. Outside of little old me. When I give, it's about how I relate to those around me. When I pray, that relates to how I am in relationship with God. Of course, my prayers will be for the world and be in line with His will and will impact the lives of people around me. But first and foremost, it's me in conversation with God. And when I fast, well, that is about me. Sorting something out with me. Externals. Up, verticals, and internals. God says, I will deal with things in each of those situations, and I will reward you when we do these things. There's a very uh, old statement here from the Catechism of the Council of Trent. That's right. I'm often reading their monthly journals. But it says this, Fasting is most intimately connected with prayer. For the mind of one who is filled with food and drink is so borne down as to not be able to raise itself to the contemplation of God or even understand what prayer means. That's quite a powerful statement. It says, the mind of one who is filled with food and drink is so borne down as to not be able to raise itself to the contemplation of God or even understand what prayer means. Fasting is necessary. Fasting is up there with giving and with praying. It is important. It's vital. And when we fast in the right way, it unleashes a power that is unstoppable. Now let me start by saying, David was very kind in his introduction. I am not the fast master. Okay? But it is something that I am stirred with. It's something that over the past few years I've really wanted to understand more, to do better. It's not something I want to do. Who wants to go without food? Well, I don't. I'll tell you that much. But I know it's something that when we do it right, God does something amazing in us. God will reward us. He, the actual word reward is he'll repay us. He'll give us something in its place. What we've sacrificed, he'll replace it was something that he'll put in himself. You know, I'd rather have the reward from God than a reward from McDonald's. But you know, we have all sorts of questions around fasting. What to fast? How long to fast? When to break the fast? And you know, I grew up in in Christian churches very much like this. And it would be times where, um, when I was sort of in my teens, I would start to go along with my father to the to the prayer nights, which were often uh, around times of fasting as well during the day. And as a teenager, I would often fast dinner. I'd have breakfast and lunch, and I'd fast my, my dinner and, and eat after the time of prayer and fasting. Nothing wrong with that. 
But I do remember one time, at the end of school, a friend of mine offered me a polo mint, and I didn't even think. I took it and I put it in my mouth. And as soon as that minty gorgeousness filled my mouth, I thought, I'm fasting. And I honestly, for a split second, thought my friend was going to be standing next to this kind of mint-scented puff of smoke as this lightning bolt struck me and took me out for breaking the sacred law of fasting. You know, we've got to be so careful that we view fasting in the right way. That we fast with our, and we come at it with the right approach. That we don't become legalistic about it. That we don't become superstitious or weird about it. That we don't impose on others some of the things that we feel are our burden and how we fast and what we fast. My fast is about me and me and God. And it's so important that we, that we get that. And, and, and I hope that as I share some of these things, God will... As by his spirit, because his spirit is in each one of us, will just direct us to how best to fast. When to fast, how to fast, what to fast. There's, there's, you know, we'll, we'll look at fasting and, and taking away food, but I believe it's, fasting is this. It's denying myself of something that I need. It's denying myself of something from which I draw strength and comfort and joy that is outside of God. And when I deny myself of that... All of a sudden, there is a need, a need for strength, joy, sustenance, something, that then I go to God and I say, God, I need you to provide this for me, because I've denied myself of that. And God says, I'm going to reward you. And he comes and he does something. And that's how we need to view fasting. But there's a great clip I'd like uh, to put up, it's just a few minutes long, it's very funny, by the skit guys. And this is how not to fast. So Sam, if you would put this up for me. There are some, <laughs> it's all done very, very humorously, but there are aspects of that that I recognize in how I've approached fasting before and how I've thought about it and viewed it. And God wants us to view fasting in the right way. It's not a means of me gaining something for myself. It's about me doing something for God. And uh, when we look at fasting in the Bible, although the word fast isn't used specifically in, until Second Matthew, we see that the first time that God's people are told not to eat is in Leviticus uh, 28, and it's to mark the uh, Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was an annual day in the calendar where the whole nation would gather and repent corporately. And it was during those times that sacrifices were made on behalf of the nation of Israel. The high priest would enter into the most holy place in the temple, the tabernacle, for the one time in the year to present offerings to God on behalf of the people. And the people were told to not eat during that time, to deny themselves, is how it's described, to humble their souls. And it was something that God wanted his people to do, to engage in. It had a significance and an importance. And the people understood this. In fact, by the time we get to Zechariah and, and his prophesying a few hundred years later or more, actually they're, they're fasting four times in the year, pretty much quarterly. There's a, a national fast that takes place. And then when we find the word fasting itself, the first time it's mentioned, the word sum, it actually ties in with 2 Samuel 12, verse 21, when David fasts. And the reason he fasts is he's been um, adulterous, he's slept with Bathsheba, he's had his, her husband Uriah killed in battle, and out of this adulterous, murderous, sinful relationship, a baby has been born, the baby falls ill, and David fasts on behalf of the baby's life to pray and fast, and the baby sadly dies. And at that point, David stands up, 
He washes his face, he gets dressed, and he goes down and he eats. Now that's not to take our faith away from fasting, but it's to say that fasting is always for purpose. Fasting is always based on us responding to something and putting something into action. It has to be intentional. Fasting is for purpose, and fasting has a point where it ends, fortunately. It has to, doesn't it? But you know what? We need to decide when that end point is. If we fast open-endedly, we'll often never really see the fast through properly. And before we fast, have in your own heart the time when you're going to break that fast. And then don't let other people sway you on it. Let that be your time, but don't impose that on others either. But David fasts before God, and it's born out of a desire and a a heart of repentance and a crying out to God to do something in a situation that he's found himself in. And that's where fasting is. You know, throughout the Word, I've looked at all the very uh, different times and aspects and contexts in which people have fasted. And they've been born out of sadness, like David. They've been born out of repentance. That was also David's experience. Sometimes born out of desperation. Other times, just out of devotion to God. But when people have fasted, regardless of the initial reason that they've gone to do it, it's always a turning to God. It's always a humbling before God. And it's always linked with prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. A humbling before God. And when we look at the fasting in the Bible, the word soon that's used literally means to cover your mouth. To put something over your mouth so you cannot eat. So it is around and based on not eating. And choosing not to eat. And and we see time and again lots of, inverted commas, normal fasts. Where people have gone without food, they've taken liquids, they've drunk water. But they've gone without food for certain periods of time. Nehemiah fast. You read it in Nehemiah 1 verse 4. He hears about the state that Jerusalem is in and that Israel is in. And he goes and he prays before God and he wants to be shown favor by the king so that he can return and do something about it. And he precedes his visit to the king with fasting and prayer. We see Jesus fasting in Matthew 4. He went without food. We hear about the prophetess Anna in Luke 237, she devoted herself to fasting and worship. In fact, it says she worshipped with fasting in the temple each day. Devotion to God, a normal fast, then a partial fast. There's one time where we see Daniel in Daniel 10, verse 3, decide to just stay to eating vegetables and drinking water and avoiding all other foods for a period of time so that he could seek God. It's not clear why he does that. He certainly fasts normally as well, but that's one of his fasts. Then we see these absolute fasts. The Ninevites, when Jonah goes to warn them about God bringing judgment on them, the whole nation fasts totally from food and water for three days. They even enforce that on the animals. Esther, as Ruth told us last week, calls the the people of Israel that are in in Persian exile to, to, to resolve themselves to three days of going without food or water. Why? Because times were dangerous. They were under great threat and persecution. In a sense, it was an act of desperation to say, God, we can't do anything about this. We must turn to you. And she wasn't willing to go before the king without firstly seeing a devotion to prayer and fasting firstly. There was preparation that this fasting created. And then even Saul himself, when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, goes without food and water before um, Ananias comes and speaks with him. And then there are a couple of contexts of supernatural fasts. Elijah and Moses 
two men for 40 days. Um, the Bible tells us go without food and water for 40 days. Well, that's special, okay? The human body can manage without food for many days, but as we know, water, three days or more, and we're struggling, we're in trouble. And, and yet these men seem to be sustained by God. We see that they, they were in a, a culture of regular fasting. In Luke 18, verse 12, Jesus talks about a tax collector and a Pharisee. And the Pharisee says, I fast two times a week. And that was a regular practice for the Pharisees. They fasted on two days. Do you know which days they fasted on? Monday and Thursday. Market days. When the town was at its busiest. When the streets were at their fullest. That's when they'd walk around with disheveled hair, looking somber and sad and sorrowful, so that they would get the reward of the people who looked on them and thought, wow, how pious, how holy, how good you are. It had fallen into legality. It had fallen into the person becoming proud by what they were doing. But they fasted regularly. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, he fasted often. Jesus, as we know, fasted himself. And we've read already in, in, in Matthew 6, if you turn to Matthew six sixteen, in your Bibles. Jesus says, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. I put in there in brackets and brush your teeth then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Later on, Jesus is walking with his disciples and they're eating and they're chastised because they should be fasting and they're not fasting enough. And Jesus talks in Matthew 9 verse 15. He says, look, the groom is currently with the wedding guests. We're here to, we're going to celebrate. They are going to celebrate while I'm here on earth with them. But he says this, Someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Again, referring to his disciples. And as I've said already, the nation fasted annually. Firstly, once a year, then on a number of times in the year. And oftentimes the nation were called to fast. In Joel 2.15, he calls out in a time of trouble, cry out to God, turn to God in prayer and fasting. In 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat calls the nation of Israel to a fast because they're under attack from the Moabites and the Ammonites and and other uh, armies that are seeking to destroy them. In Ezra 8, 21-23, Ezra is about to return with a group of people from Persia back to the Promised Land. And before they embark on their journey, he calls them all to a time of prayer and fasting. The apostles in Acts 13 and in Acts 14, we find them in prayer and fasting and worship before they appoint elders or before they appoint men into ministry. There are times when we call to fast. You know, there's one thing that's amazing. If you, uh, when, you, when you get a chance, if you have a look, in, if you'd make a note of these, Exodus 24 and Exodus 34. It's the story of Moses and his two 40-day fasts on Mount Sinai. You know, poor old Moses was in his 80s, and God called him up and down Sinai probably about eight or nine times during his ministry. It was a mile and a half trek to this two and a half thousand meter um, summit. And he was up with God, and then he was down at the foot of the mountain with the people, and then God would call him back up, and then he'd go back down to the people. And God... But on two of the occasions, God keeps him at the top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. 
And the first time he does it is in Exodus 24, and he's with God. And during that time, he receives the instructions for the tabernacle, and he receives the law. And as he comes down the mountain, he finds the people of Israel are doing what? Worshipping a golden calf. And he throws the stone tablets down, it says in Deuteronomy 9 and Deuteronomy 10. And he's, he's angry, and he causes the, uh, the, the golden uh, calf to be made into dust and thrown into the water. They literally have to drink what they've created. And 3,000 are killed that day. The wrath of God comes. But Moses, in, having coming down from a 40-day fast, says this in Deuteronomy 10. He then fasted for 40 days and 40 nights after coming down from the mountain to pray on behalf of the people who had sinned. And then, shortly afterwards, God calls him back up to the mountain in, in, in Exodus 34, where he fasts for another 40 days and 40 nights. Three 40-day fasts in seemingly quick succession. Wow. You know what? When Moses comes down the mountain for the third time, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody who's been fasting for more than a week or maybe 21 days or seen some at the end of a 40-day fast. They don't look great. All their kind of features are accentuated. Their ears look bigger. Their nose looks bigger. Their head looks weirdly wizened. They don't look particularly healthy. Moses was 80 years old. He'd completed three 40-day fasts in quick succession. And when he comes down from the mountain from this third fast, do you know what the people see? The reflection of the glory of God on his face. The Shekinah glory. Somebody who should have looked wizened and old and, 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 and leathery and, and, and sick and poorly and cachectic comes down and glory is shining from his face. So much so they can't look at him until he puts a veil over his face. There's something that God does in us. There's a glory of God that we can access only through fasting. And when we fast, God produces something in us. We begin to reflect his glory as we deny ourselves of certain things and we open ourselves up for him to pour himself into us and do something in us and through us. When Elijah fasts his 40 days, he's had this great victory on Mount Carmel where he's defeated the prophets of Baal and called down fire from heaven. He's gone from there to pray for rain to come. So much so the famine is, uh, drought has ended and rain starts pouring down and sends Ahab on his way. And it's from that point when he finds out that Jezebel is after him that he runs. And for 40 days he fasts and he ends his 40 day fast in a cave. And the cave reflects his state of mind. All by himself, depressed, low, lonely. And then it's from that place that God calls him out of the cave. He rushes past him as a windstorm, as there's lightning and storms and flashes, and all of a sudden there's a still small voice. What are you doing, Elijah? And God begins to minister to this man, and he begins to heal him. He begins to call him, he begins to restore him. And it's after this 40-day period that God ministers to Elijah in this way. Even Jesus, the onset, as I said already, of his earthly ministry, it's after fasting. It's on the end of his time of fasting that he's able to deal with the temptation that the devil tries to throw at him. And he leaves the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit and with power. So it says in Matthew 4, Luke 4 particularly, picks up on that. You know what? When we fast, we're empowered. When we fast, God gets to uh, reflect his glory through us. When we fast, God deals with things that are in our lives that need dealing with. 
When we fast, we turn to God and he empowers us to minister. He gives us faith. He causes us to move in action. He moves us spiritually and he transforms us. And that's what I want us to consider today. Why do we fast? Why do we need to fast? You know what? Fasting isn't a hunger strike. It's not doing something so we make God move. I'm not going to eat God until you do something. It's not a protest. It's not about our own ends. It's not a diet. It's not a legal requirement. Rather, it's spiritual worship. It means removing some of the many distractions that fill and surround us, fill our minds, surround our lives. We live in a world that is ram-packed with distractions. We've got TV, can watch any show at any time, quizzes, sports shows, documentaries, comedies, dramas. You've got Grimmy on Radio 1, you've got Chris Evans on Radio 2, you've got Evan Davis on Radio 4, Nicky Campbell on 5 Live, you've got DJs from Kerrang! and Gem 106, even UCB and Premier Radio all wanting us to listen to them. We've got Harrison Ford telling us to watch Sky Movies, we've got Kevin Bacon telling us to sign up to EE. We've got George Clooney telling us to drink an espresso. We've got iPads, iPhones, iPods. We've got Angry Birds, Kindles, PSPs, 3DSs, all wanting us to look and listen. We're being called to duty by the PS4. Halo on Xbox One. We've got friends nudging us on Facebook, direct messaging us on Twitter. We've got people chatting to us on Kick and WhatsApp, sending us a picture of their lunch on Instagram. We've got puzzles and texts and calls and emails coming in left, right and centre with a friendly bing from our phone. All of these things coming, newspapers silently miming, pick me, pick me, from the bookshelves. Books and magazines and billboards that fill our thoughts and want a piece of us. And then we've got family, friends, work, commitments, chores, shopping to do. Ant and Deck want us to go to Morrison's, Heston saying go to Waitrose. My My nan used to say go to Aldi. It doesn't matter. All of these things are there and and they're voices that try and distract us and and God falls to the bottom of this pecking order. Got a creepy clown trying to sell us burgers and a bearded colonel who mangles chickens and they're calling us, Paddy McGuinness, come to Pizza Hut. It's amazing. And God is at the bottom of this list and and the one thing that that is needed for us to be truly nourished is squeezed out, it's choked out by the cares of the world. And you know what fasting is? Fasting is an opportunity to say to the world, I may be in you, but I'm not of you. Fasting is an opportunity to say to myself, I belong to God first. I don't belong to the Colonel. I don't belong to Ronald McDonald. I don't belong to any of these other organizations or groups. I belong to God, His will in my life. I don't belong to my stomach. That's not the core of me. The core of me is my spirit. And my spirit is being renewed by the Holy Spirit. And that's ministering to my soul, to my will, to my mind, to my emotions. And it's impacting my body and giving me strength. That's what fasting does. It positions us for blessing. It positions us for strengthening. It positions us for comfort. That doesn't come from natural things. It comes from God himself and his Holy Spirit in us. It's powerful. Jesus makes it clear he wants us to fast, that we will fast. And I just want to say, just use these four key points. 
Fasting is faith, action, it's spiritual, and it's transforming. Faith, action, it's spiritual, and it's transforming. Firstly, faith. Hebrews 2, sorry, Hebrews 10, Galatians 3, Habakkuk 2. Without, it says the righteous will live by faith. Everything we do must have faith at the heart of it. Must be done in faith. And fasting is no different. Don't fast because you've been told to. Don't even fast because it's in the diary. Fast because you believe that when you fast, something's going to happen. And when we're called to fast corporately, God wants to move. He wants to do something. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So everything we do must have faith at the heart of it, must be enveloped with faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God seeks and rewards those who sincerely seek him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. So that when we fast, we take away our trust, our faith in something else that will strengthen us. And we say, God, I need you to strengthen me in its place. When I say I'm not going to eat a meal, when I'm not going to eat for a day or three days or however long it is, I'm saying, God, for this time, the one thing that I seek nourishment from on a daily basis and draw strength and comfort and enjoyment from, I'm denying myself of that. And I'm trusting, I'm putting my faith that you will provide everything that I need during those times. And it says, Jesus says, God will reward us. When Jesus is at the woman, with the woman at the well in John 4, the disciples are coming back with lunch. And Jesus says to them, they say, do you eat something, Master? And he says, no, I don't need to eat. Because being, doing the will of God is my nourishment. He drew strength and nourishment from doing God's will. It wasn't food, it was from God himself that Jesus drew strength. We're to fast in the right way. Faith stops us fasting wrongly. You know, faith, uh, sorry, fasting is a discipline, but never do it out of religiosity, legalism, or superstition. It's not about earning more of God's love. It's about learning more of God and his love. It's not about twisting God's arm. It's about seeing that God's outstretched arms are towards us. Doesn't increase the flow of grace and power that's available to me. It unblocks the dams in my life that are stopping that from flowing. Because the fullness of God is in me by his Holy Spirit. And when we fast, we put ourselves in a place, when we do it in faith, where we draw on God, we rely on God, we trust God, we look to God, we make time for Him, and we we show that we're interested in Him more than things that we actually physically need. And it will result in uh, faith. It produces faith. In Matthew 17, um, some some parents are crying out to Jesus because their son is demon-possessed, and the disciples have been there putting their best prayers in, and but then Jesus comes, and, and, and the, the demon-possessed boy hasn't been set free yet until Jesus turns up. And Jesus delivers him, casts the demon out, and then he says, this can only come out by prayer and fasting. There was something of faith and power that had been created in Jesus by prayer and fasting that allowed him to unlock that situation. When we fast, it unle- un- unlocks for us power and faith. So we should fast in faith. Fasting produces faith. Secondly, action. It is a physical act, isn't it? It's a spiritual discipline, but it's a physical act. It's an act of denial. It's an act of of putting something to death. It's, It's not hypothetical. It's very practical. And when we fast, we act. We give things up. And we should always know that when we fast, it's with intention. 
We do it intentionally. Do it with purpose. You know what? When, we, when, when you fast, when I fast, we create time in our life that would normally be taken up by something else. And we're to fill that time spending time with God in prayer and worship. Guard the time. The time that you might have spent walking to the shop to buy a sandwich. The time that you might have spent preparing a meal, gathering the, the ingredients, preparing it and sitting down to eat it. Make that time the time that you spend with the Lord. You know, so often other things will creep in and, and, and steal that time. But when we fast, it's an opportunity to act and say, this time is set apart for God. The time that I would normally be eating, God, I'm going to be with you in prayer and worship. I'm going to be looking to you. And the wonderful thing about fasting is that it produces action. In Isaiah 58, God is challenging his people. And at the time, he's saying, look, you're fasting, but actually you're ignoring all the things that are important to me. You're not caring for your family. You're not clothing the naked. You're not feeding the hungry and the starving. He's not saying you shouldn't fast food. He's saying you're ignoring all these other things. And let's just say this. Fasting doesn't replace all the other things that God wants us to do. It's not a band-aid that covers everything up that we should be doing or shouldn't be doing. But when it's done right and we do it in the right way, God also, I believe, brings us to action. The last time we prayed in January, we had a time of prayer and fasting, and born out of that time came a desire for action, to do something, to bring about change, to, to physically get ready to do something, whether it was to minister to those who were in prison, or help those who were disadvantaged, or, 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 or uh, reach out to those who were lonely. Out of our time of prayer and fasting, God says, now I've got something for you to do. Fasting done in faith. It's an action that produces action. And fasting is something that is spiritual. Although it's a physical act, it is very much a spiritual discipline. As I said already, Jesus says to his disciples, I have food that you know not of. You know what, when we're, when we're born again, the word that the Bible uses for salvation is, is the Greek word sozo. And it means to make whole. When you and I are born again, when we give our lives to Jesus, when we repent, we put our faith in him, when we're baptized and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he makes us whole. He restores us. He heals us. Our spirits become alive. Prior to the point of salvation, spiritually we were dead to God. Spiritually dead to God. And we were ruled... By the world around us, and how it impacted our body, our senses, our appetites. And also ruled by our mind, our thoughts, our intellect and our memories. Our emotions, how we felt, what we desired, what we wanted. And our will, which was basically to please myself. And you know what? We can't save ourselves we can't make ourselves a better person. And so often, after we're born again, we still try those, those things of trying harder or, or using my will to, to do things better or to try and convince myself it's about mind over matter or anything. It's not about that. It's about understanding that when we're born again, we spiritually come alive. The Holy Spirit comes in us and he begins to minister to our spirit. The very core of us becomes alive. And from that place, God wants there to be an overflow from the Spirit within us, by His Holy Spirit, into our mind, so that we begin to think in the right way. 
that we begin to think the way God thinks. He wants that to overflow into our emotions. So that the things that we feel passionate about, the things that we desire, the things that we love, are in line with what he's passionate about, what he desires, what he loves. He wants that to overflow then from there into our will. So that we can say to him, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that starts with me. And as those things are changing our soul, and our soul is changing, our heart is a heart change, the way that we act, what we do with our bodies, where we put our eyes, what we say with our mouth, all of those things change as a result. So often we work, try and work from the outside in. God says, no, no, it's a work from the inside out. And you know what fasting is? In denying ourselves of food, and in bringing those things in order, we put that spiritual part of us, and we raise it. And we say, God, this is the most important part. This is the part that you're going to minister to. This is the part that from the overflow of this, everything else comes in line with your will. And as we fast, that's what we do. That the Spirit of God comes and he strengthens us. And then the arena of our mind, where we battle with our thoughts. You know, the, 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 the way that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God were totally contrary to the way that people would have thought otherwise. Kingdom thinking is different to human thinking. To be prosperous, you've got to give everything away. To live truly, you've got to die. To become strong, you've got to deny yourself food and fast. It doesn't make sense. But when the Holy Spirit ministers to us and shows us this, our mind has changed from natural thinking to spiritual thinking. And the arena of our mind is so important. Our thought life, our memories, our intellect. And God says, all those things are fine, but submit them to my spirit. And when we fast, we enable ourselves to do that. Psalm 69 verse 10 says, David says, I humbled my soul in fasting. We lower our mind. We lower our emotions. We lower our will. We humble it. We humble our bodies to God. And God says, great, I can work work on you from here. We position ourselves for God to do something in us that is really needed. In the arena of our mind, the, the Holy Spirit begins to work on our thinking. Romans 12 verse 2 says, firstly we offer ourselves in, as living sacrifices, and then the Holy Spirit begins to minister to our mind, transforms us by the renewing of our mind. And then truly we can say, as, as he continues to work on us in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. In the arena of our emotions, we, we bring it, our emotions, subject to his will. So that our passions and the things that we love and the things that we want are submitted to him over and over again so that he can work on us. And, and so that as the deer panting for the water, you know, sometimes we're going to feel hungry and we're going to feel like a deer who's standing by a brook, so thirsty. But God wants us to take that physical hunger, that physical desire and say, I want that to be spiritual. God, just as much as I want to eat this meal, Lord, help it to be my desire for you and for more of you. Our mind, our emotions, and our will. You know how the enemy attacked Eve in the garden? The first thing that he did is he went for her mind. He said, did God really say, don't eat? And then as she opened her mind to the lie, her emotions began to change about God because she began to feel like maybe God is withholding something good from me. Maybe, maybe he does know best. Maybe, maybe. And then what did that do? That impacted her will. She took the fruit. And what did she do? 
She ate. Even the fall was about an eating. It was a physical act of eating, but it was born out of a mind change, an emotion change, a will change that became a physical act. And all of a sudden she became, and Adam became spiritually dead. But when we fast, we flip that on its head. We change things and we begin to submit our mind, our emotions and our will to God. Our bodies as well. When I fast, I deny my bodily needs and desires. I keep my appetites in check. When I fast, I don't let my senses dictate whether I eat or not. I allow my sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to direct me. When I fast, if I feel weak or tired, I have an opportunity to draw strength from the Lord. When I fast, I don't allow my thoughts of food to dominate my thinking or focus. I go to the Word and I think about Him. When I fast, I keep my emotions in check, which may well be affected by hunger. And when I fast, I submit my will to his, enabling me to stay strong. Fasting is not about me raising up my willpower to not eat. It's about submitting my will to the Holy Spirit for him to empower me and strengthen me. Otherwise, it just becomes about me. It never was about me. It never is about me. It keeps all of these things in check when we fast in a spiritual way. When we, when we understand it's put up raising our spirits by denying ourselves these things. So it's faith in action that's spiritual. And finally, I want to say this, it's transforming. I know I'm speaking a bit longer than normal, but I, I feel so passionate about this. And I just, I've nearly finished, but I just want you to hear what I, what I have to say this morning. You know, as we fast, very simply, it affects and transforms our daily patterns. The time I have for breakfast or lunch or dinner, gone. The time to maybe prepare food, unless you're a mum or a dad in preparing food. But those things, those times are freed up, as I've said already. It's an opportunity to seek the Lord. Our day is transformed when we decide to go without something. But the wonderful thing is that as we fast intentionally and with purpose, we are transformed, as I've already said. If, if, if you're hungry here, just think about when you're hungry, some of the emotions that you might struggle with. Does anybody over here get a bit grumpy when you're hungry? You want to bow your heads and close your eyes at this point? Or, or maybe a bit angry or a bit snappy? Yeah? I know we put that down to hunger. But have, have, we ever, have we ever thought this, that maybe the comfort that we draw from food is actually hiding an issue in our hearts that God wants us to deal with? When God removes things that we draw comfort from that aren't Him, and it brings something up to the surface, okay, it doesn't mean, oh, I just need to eat more. No, it means God says, I need to deal with that. I need to deal with that anger. I need to deal with that emotional issue that you've got there. And often when we fast, we find the things. Very quickly, they come to the surface that God wants us to deal with. doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to them until we finally get some food in us and they drop down again because food covers over the top of it. It's the same with sleep and lots of other things. Those are the point where we go to God and we say, Lord, search my heart, know my innermost thoughts, transform me, change me, touch, make these things change in me. I'm submitting them to you right now, Lord. And God begins to work on us and transform us just as he did with Elijah in the cave. Just as he did with Moses on the mountain, he came down full of the glory of God. Just as he did with the people of Nineveh when they repented and God heard them and he showed them mercy. Even King Ahab, probably the worst king in the Bible, fasts and humbles himself and receives mercy from God. Jehoshaphat, Esther, Nehemiah, Jesus, the apostles, were transformed by a fast. Changes us 
not God. It changes the world as God changes us. When we were children and uh, I was, I don't know, I guess we were 10 or 11, my sister Catherine's here as well, and we were told that we could choose something to fast. And we weren't to fast food because my parents felt we were too young, which is fair enough. So we were to go away and ask God what we were to fast. So Catherine and I both went to our rooms separately and sought God on it and came back down. And, and Catherine was the first one to say what she felt God was telling her to give up. She felt God was telling her to give up sweets, okay, which was a real sacrifice. But it wasn't quite the same as the sacrifice that I was about to unleash. Even to say it, I was scared about the commitment before God I was about to make. And with a shaking voice, I said, I believe God wants me to give up vinegar on my chips. <laughs> and my parents very lovingly told me to go back up to my room <laughs> to rehear God on it. But you know what? When, when, we, when we fast, and the vast majority of the time, we should fast food. If we, if we possibly can. If there's any reason that we cannot fast food, and there are legitimate reasons at certain times, then I would say this. Fast something, deny something, as I've already said, that is outside of God that gives you comfort, strength, and joy. So fast books, fast music, fast TV, fast people, fast alcohol, fast sweets and cakes, fast savory food, fast media, games. Fast something that is in your life that you draw comfort, strength, and joy from. Say, I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to give my time to those things. Instead, I'm going to turn to God. Young people in the room and older people, you need to turn off the phones, the laptops. Okay, we're all challenged in those areas. But just like that guy up there, does anybody relate to him? The wired just the thought of going without your phone for a, you know, for a minute or an hour. It's like, but just let me check that text. Please let me just check that email. But I believe there are things that God wants us to do that when we fast, as I've said already, we, we remove some of the distractions that crowd us and crowd God out of our lives. And we take them away and we say, God, come in. Fill this space with yourself. And as he does, our spirit is renewed. You know, we talk about strength rising as we wait on the Lord, but we've got to wait on the Lord first. It's a great song, and it's lovely to think about flying on wings like eagles, but we've got to do the waiting on the Lord bit first, and fasting allows us to do that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's a great thing to say, but if our joy is being sought from all other places, and that's how we get our joy, then we don't seek God for his joy. And there will be times in our lives when those things will be taken away, and we won't know what to do with it. God will reveal himself to those who earnestly or sincerely seek him. Well, are we earnestly and sincerely seeking him? Sometimes we say, God, I don't hear you. I don't, I don't feel like you're talking to me. As we've got our iPod in and, you know, we're kind of checking our emails. When we fast, we create an opportunity for God to speak to us, to minister to our spirit, that from there we are changed and transformed. That's why fasting is powerful. That's why fasting is important. That's why we need to fast. And just to encourage each one of us, when we get hungry, say, Lord, let this be a hunger for you. If we get weak or we feel tired, say, Lord, I'm drawing on you right now for your strength. Not, I'm just going to have to put up with this until I eat. Say, no, this is an opportunity, God, for me to find strength in you. 
If we're feeling grumpy or angry or emotional because we're not eating, then understand that the Holy Spirit wants to deal with things in us. And say, God, here I am. Just, just take these things out of me. Transform me. I can't do it myself. I'm just re- surrendering to you as I'm spending this time with you. And God says, great, I'm going to work on you. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to take these things out. And I'm going to reward you. I'm going to repay you. I'm going to fill you with me. I'm going to put me into you instead. That's why it's powerful. That's why it's important. That's why it's transforming. So as we fast over the coming months, let us do it with faith. Let it produce action. Let us understand the spiritual significance. And I believe this, we will be transformed. And the world around us will be transformed as well. If I could just ask the musicians to come, I am conscious of the time, but I just would really like us to respond in our own hearts to the word. I've been... I felt very stirred to, to share this and, and very anxious to do it justice. This is such a big topic and it's an area that I think we need to learn and understand so much better, myself included. But I've asked the musicians to prepare this song. It's Pilgrim Heart. And it's a song of saying, Lord, all the distractions, all the things around me that try and take a piece of me, I, I'm just going to say, Lord, you are most important. There's a line in it, all distractions I forsake. The greatest treasure earth awards is dust compared to you, my Lord. All I can give, all I can bring to glorify the risen King, I offer up in sacrifice that you might reign and I might die, that you might reign and I might die. And just in closing, as we consider that and we consider fasting and how we're going to fast over the coming weeks and months, begins with this sense of, Lord, I'm giving everything to you right now. So if you could stand together, please. Thanks so much for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, please visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.